You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to the main course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. And today we're going to be talking about something that is the foundation of how to build a good restaurant, and that's training. Um, as we all know, staffing, always an issue for restaurants, but even more so down in, in the pandemic where people have looked elsewhere for jobs or just don't want to do these jobs anymore because of the, the hassles that were involved. Um, so with me today is Jacob Vern, who's the CEO and founder of EduMe, which is a company that provides training and and help and a lot of other things for what we're referring to as the deskless workforce. So welcome, Jacob. Um, so you know, I guess just define what the deskless workforce. You know, in in our regards, you know, it's hospitality and all of that. But um, you know, but what else does it encompass? First of all, thanks for having me on the pod. Uh, this is great. Really appreciate it. I agree with you. This is a really important topic. Uh, the deskless workforce, as a concept, I suppose, is kind of a new way of describing frontline workers and a little bit more. So what most people don't realize is that you have uh, 80% of the global working population are defined as, as deskless. So people that perform their job uh, not in front of a desk. And the 80% equals 2.7 billion people. It's just an astounding amount of, of, of people. So apart from like uh, the hospitality sector of which, you know, obviously restaurants are part, you have retail as another very, very big sector. Uh, you have healthcare, manufacturing, logistics, um, and, and a whole range of other very, very large industries uh, that employ so many people. Uh, retail, for example, is 500 million people worldwide, uh, 16 million people in, in the US alone. And as, a, as an audience, it's been vastly underserved when it comes to tech enablement. So we see that even though it's 80% of the global working population, 1% of investments, uh, venture investments, are going into supporting desk as workers. Why do you think that percentage was so abominably low? Um, and do you think the pandemic has, you know, really put an emphasis on that and how technology can really help the deskless workforce? Yeah, that's a great question, Barbara. And uh, let me unpack it a little bit. I think partly uh, leading up to this point, the reason it's been underinvested is probably because the opportunity in, in deskless jobs has been so big already for a lot of tech companies and investors they were just going after that it was also closest to home frankly i think it's something that's relatable to the people that, that allocate capital uh, that's how they work even today when i speak to investors and, and they say we say we serve the desktop workforce oh yeah yeah everyone is remote now and i'm working from home no it's it's not the same thing right it's completely different you're still at a desk you're just at home and so I think there's been that kind of bias around around things. I absolutely think and see that the pandemic has shifted this mindset. It's made people much more uh, aware 
of the people that perform vital services for the community. Everything from, you know, uh, we work with a lot of food delivery companies to nurses, to the person who will deliver your parcel from, from Amazon because you, you're not going through the retail storage during the pandemic. So I think there's increased awareness and increased urgency uh, of helping these people to be successful as well. Well, and technology was, you know, the savior for a lot of businesses. How many restaurants, you know, went right. to QR code menus that, you know, QR code was something that was seen as, you know, in the past mm. and how it became a vital force for people to just stay in business. Mm. Um, so, you know, what, um, you know, what is it that exactly that you, that EduMe does um, and, you know, and who are some of the actual clients that you work with? So we're a, a mobile training platform for deskless workers. Uh, so some of our companies include the likes of Uber and Grubhub. Uh, it includes mobile operators. It includes logistics companies. Um, and kind of what we, the, the problems that we solve for uh, are centered around workforce performance uh, we discussed that leading into this show around like, how do you set someone up for success? You you need to have a really good onboarding um, proposition. 20% uh, of workers leave after 45 days because they're not properly onboarded. 70% of, of workers say if they had um, proper onboarding experience, they would stay into three years or or that's what, what research shows us. So onboarding is vitally important. Uh, even pre-boarding, actually, which is something we do uh, in retail hospitality, you have uh, ratios. I don't know what you've seen. I've heard 20% no-shows for the first shift. So pre-boarding, onboarding, set setting people up for success in the role. You know, what is this about? What am I supposed to do? What are expectations? How do I do a good job? Uh, and then once they're in, how do you continue to support people with the right knowledge so they can be successful? So that's also part of workforce performance. But when people are successful, uh, they're much more likely to stay. So you drive employee retention, which is a whole different topic we could spend a lot of time on, I'm, I'm sure. We see it from a lot of the gig companies. You know, They need to get lots of people working for them. Uh, but if, if those people are not supported, they will churn out. And, and typically they churn after 30, 40, 50 days. So that's the retention. And then you need to ensure that people uh, stay safe and compliant. And obviously, during the pandemic, a lot of that has been around, you know, personal safety around uh, around um, COVID for themselves, but also if they're serving customers, if it's an Uber driver, you know, around passengers, uh, if it's a delivery driver, food delivery driver, it's a, uh, it's about your customer. Uh, so those are kind of the problems that we that we try to solve for. Yeah, um, you know, the the onboarding and pre-boarding process is really the employees welcome to the company and their really first way of going a long way to helping retain them in the long run. And if you have missteps along that way, you know, it's, it could be the reasons why they decide if they don't feel supportive, they don't feel valued. Um, so, um, you know, what, you know, what are some of the elements, I guess, of, of pre-boarding? Um, you know, I like, I remember jobs years ago where, you know, you're, you're handed a manual and they say, you know, fill out the back, you know, when you read it and sign it and date it and how many people actually did. Um, but now a lot of companies are handing a lot of materials over 
in the pre-boarding process, particularly in the hospitality, so that when somebody walks in the door, you know, they have had, in I don't want to say indoctrination, but they've had, a, you know, a, a, a welcome to what the company Support. is, their mm. values already before they even mm. get there. Um, so how important yeah. is and how important do you think that will be moving forward to, um, you know, to get people to show up <laughs> and and what are the elements of a good pre-boarding program? Yeah, I think it's, first of all, I think it's massively important. Uh, I mean, if you can solve that problem, imagine how much money can be saved for the company if people actually come and then they they perform well and they stay. I mean, there are three big problems that can be solved there. Uh, but also just having in mind the person who works for the company, you know, we, we, we've we got that at the center, for example, of, of, of our mission. How do you make, give everyone the opportunity to be successful because you, you want that person working in the restaurant or ferrying people around in Uber to be successful too. And so pre-boarding is setting them up for what are, what are some of the expectations? It's a bit of hand-holding support. Um, you know, what is this company all about? What's expected of me? How does it work? What are some of their values? And, and that's one thing that we've found is increasingly important uh, as there is also increased competition. I, I, you know, unemployment is a, at an all-time low. Uh, there's a mismatch between supply and demand. So there are, you know, too many or there's, you know, too, more job openings than there are um, available uh, people. So there's more competition between companies. And so they really need to build loyalty with, uh, with the workforce. And one way to do that is to be very clear around their values as a company in the value proposition. And th that can certainly be introduced already at a pre-boarding stage. So, you know, one of the things also is, you know, the the average, more than average, you know, practically every employee going into a lot of these jobs are very tech savvy. Um, so you're meeting them, you know, at their comfort level. Um, so how is how is, you know, the staff, um, you know, working with the staff and working with the training on something that's a little more self-directed? How does that um you know, kind of meet the staff at their comfort level. I think that's a really interesting point. And a little bit back to where I said there's a this mismatch between where people actually work and, and how they're supported with tools. So uh, so what we've seen is that there is a, a very big demand from the workforce uh, to have more tech enablement, uh, be that training or, or, or some other type of enablement in their jobs. We know from just the training side, uh, you know, 50% of workers say, uh, they would move somewhere else if they had better learning uh, and development opportunities. And so it's very easy to lose people to uh, to someone else who offers better. There is, however, a mismatch in how the tech is enabled. So uh, two-thirds up to uh, 70% of deskless companies, they still offer tech in the form of PC and laptop uh, tech to a deskless workforce, which obviously doesn't make sense because that's not where you meet them. So people and companies really need to start thinking around access uh, and, and meet uh, the workforce where they are. And just like you said, in society at large and the younger workforce, the younger generation coming into the workforce, people are very tech savvy. They're digital natives and in their uh, five to nines, so leisure time, we use all these tools that are super simple to use, great user experience, user interface, if it's TikTok, swiping, tapping, scrolling. Uh, but then when in their nine to fives, they're still faced with these old clunky tools that are unengaging or here is a list and all these things. 
that's that still needs to be solved for what are some of the ways that you think that it, it that it can be solved and and what kind of time frame do you see that happening so i'd probably um kind of put that into like three three different buckets uh one is around access as i said before if your deskless is uh, if your workforce is deskless don't expect them to come and do something at a desk uh, that just doesn't make sense so in that case it has to be mobile first Ideally, it should be part of an existing workflow or work process they're already comfortable and familiar with. Don't ask them to download, uh, uh, you know, an, the 18th app uh, that no one will log into, won't remember their passwords. So try to make that part seamless. And and the second thing is it should really be relevant. Uh, so instead of treating everyone the same, as in you get to learn the same thing at the same time, uh, regardless of your skill level or interests, uh, that also doesn't make sense. That's the old way of, of doing things. Uh, so find that relevance. And and lastly, it has to be engaging. And uh, the way that things have been done in the past typically hasn't been very engaging. It's been a one-size-fits-all uh, checklist thing. There are many ways to make things more engaging by using video, images, uh, GIFs, you know, just and, and have kind of an interactive session. Um, so someone will actually engage. And you can then follow up and it actually drives when it's engaging. You can actually drive towards learning outcomes instead of here's a tick box exercise. You've ticked it. You haven't learned anything and we don't know what you've learned. Right. So it's a matter of engagement on both fronts. <laughs> you know, it's the engagement yeah. with, with the staff and the engagement that, that they understand that they got the message and that they understand and can then be more successful in the job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It actually helps them. And from the company, they can find, you know, they find solace and comfort in, they can actually see in the back end, oh, person so-and-so, Barbara and Jacob, they've done this training and uh, they struggled with this. So so that's something we can work on. Uh, but overall, they know what they're supposed to know. And the second part of your question there, like how far away is this? Fortunately, I think we're actually at a time when a lot of things are happening. Uh, one thing we're doing at scale with Uber, for example, is um, Edgemi is integrated in the Uber Earner app. So let's say you're a delivery driver, uh, food food delivery, or or just a Uber driver, and you're you know you just had your third consecutive customer give you a three star rating for customer service. That will then prompt them in app to say, hey. Uh, Jacob, you may want to review your customer service levels. You tap, go straight into uh, a micro lesson. So very specific around why is it important with customer service? How do I deliver it? What, and very crucially, what are, the, um, what are the benefits to me? So if I do all these things, you know, I'll be more successful at work. Also, the company will be more successful. So that's seamless and it's highly relevant. And that is happening. So you're, what you're talking about is, you know, not just training the first two weeks that you're on the job. This is a continual practice yeah. um, that people will be using these tools that are and kind of prompted to use these tools so that, you know, in a way it goes toward, you know, motivating them, engaging them and retaining them in the long run. Absolutely. Exactly. It's not a, it's not a once-off which I think historically too much training has been like that. Oh, we've done our job. Again, that tick box exercise. No, it's about supporting 
the worker throughout their life cycle with the company. So what are some common kind of training mistakes that you've noticed as you're putting in all different programs for all different companies that um, that you think you guys help help solve? Uh, so I think it's back to that, like making it really relevant um, and accessible. Uh, so that's that's one thing. Um, I think one particular point is also trying to cram to too much unengaging uh, content down someone's throat never works um, and it doesn't lead to any any good impact so we we uh, employ a micro learning approach uh, which is short bite-sized content uh, engaged by you know um, interjecting videos and quizzes that follow breaking things down into bite-sized content as people are on the move they don't have a lot of time uh, attention spans are short you just need to break things down into bite-sized chunks that are easy to consume on the go and that can then also be more relevant to 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 what people are doing uh, in the moment. And, and too often I see someone say, oh, we've got this training manual or a, a big PowerPoint or we'll do this into an hour-long session uh, and that's just not very engaging or effective. So, you know, the, the things that you're talking about, you know, kind of gamification and creating video and bite-sized things, that's a, a creating a lot of content. Um, so, you know, I would imagine it also involves a certain cost. So, um, you know, what, how to kind of, uh, how do brands kind of balance that, that this will, um, you know, provide the engagement on the, you know, with the, with their staff so that they'll get a better retention and kind of balance that, or is that not even an issue anymore because people are just saying, you know, this is where we have to go. Yeah. It's, it's more the latter, I would say. Also, I think the barriers to entry to creating good content are continuously lowered. Um, in, in our product, for example, we try to productize as much of the learning design as possible and kind of guide users through that content creation process. So uh, any kind of novice could come in and create some effective learning content because so much of it actually sits in the product already in terms of using templates and best practices. And, and on the upside, I think there is very clearly now an appreciation for uh, the value that it brings. Uh, if I can improve, you know, the onboarding funnel uh, by, so you know, X percent, or if we can improve retention, you know, the, the business case is clearly there. So as part of doing what you're doing, you, you've also, you know, had access to a lot of data, which is one of my big things that, you know, there's just so much out there and you really just have to understand the best data that makes sense for, for what you're trying to do. Um, and you have a, a state of training um, in the on-demand industry report. You also recently came out with some uh, really interesting surveys on on um, a shift in the food delivery. Um, and um, so can you tell me a little bit about, first, the methodology, how you did this, and what were some of the findings? That's a really interesting one. So we went out and, and surveyed, uh, you know, a significant sample uh, of people on how they use food delivery uh, pre and, and, and during post pandemic. And some of the findings are really, really interesting. And I think ties back to what you said uh, before as well of some of the shifting shifting behaviors. Um, so 60% in, in, so in this survey that's available on the AGME website uh, is 60% of used consumers are spending more money now on food delivery than they did prior to the pandemic. So, so clearly something has, has changed there. Um, Nearly one in four 
are spending on average 50 to 100 dollars per month um almost 50 percent have said that food delivery services have now become part of their lifestyle and so this is clearly here uh, to stay as well it's it's a big shift um 40 percent of americans are ordering food uh, for delivery at least once a month uh nearly one in four spending at least a hundred dollars on food delivery you know so these are some pretty pretty um remarkable stats and and one consequence of this which is where training comes in as well is when something goes wrong and things unfortunately go wrong sometimes with deliveries the food the food orders um consumers on average they they tend to blame the business the food came from not necessarily uh, the delivery service so it's it's really important not just to make sure that uh, food delivery workers are trained uh, but also that restaurants are part of this process yeah i mean restaurants kind of had to really learn how to do delivery and you know you go to a restaurant and you and you see there's like a little area for delivery it's kind of piecemeal at this point but it's going to become more of the restaurant design process um and i think you know consumers notice things like how how well their how safely their their food is packaged um so what you know this you know what the data that you found what are some things that restaurants can take away from that to improve their delivery efforts that they're doing right now. Yeah, so we do we do quite a lot of merchant training, so restaurant onboarding, because like you said, it's a it's a new process for them as well. So you kind of start with a food delivery company and they realize, okay, we need to train our workforce, they deliver great customer service and they do their job. Uh, uh, but for the restaurants, this is all new as well. So they they can also sign up to do uh, training for their staff how to deal with this because this is really important. It brings in a big proportion of revenue now for many restaurants um, and it's an extension of, of their brand. It's not something that's outsourced to the delivery partner. There's also, um, you know, th there is a kind of fraction loyalty uh, between food delivery services. So, so consumers tend to use several different. So I think it probably in any walk of life now, but customer experience is really key. And this is one way to differentiate. So if you ensure as a restaurant that you, you know, always get the right uh, orders delivered, uh, it's exactly kind of as an extension of, of the service levels you want to give uh, in store or, or on location. It should be the same for, for the digital experience or the delivery experience. So how important and vital is a restaurant's digital presence right now as it relates to you know, what what possible consumers will see at it and what potential staff members, you know, what they're putting out there and that somebody may say, hey, you know, I, I like what you're doing on TikTok or I like what I just like how your website looks. I might want to work for you. How important is what they put out there right now? It's it's super important. I think it's hard to underestimate how important it is. Uh, we work a lot with retailers as well. Uh, where you know omnichannel is really one of the big challenges that's facing that industry. Uh, you need to really think 360 around how your consumers 
and generally, I suppose, wider stakeholders, but really think about like your customers, how they engage with you. And people are really buying into that customer experience, no matter where it is. And they're not going to differentiate and say, oh, they're great when I go to the local restaurant, uh, but but digital uh, is 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 bad and I don't mind. No, like that's, an, that's a reflection on, on the brand overall. So it's really making sure that kind of that consistency comes across everywhere. And digital is here to stay uh, so they need to have a good presence and they need support that with good customer service so one of the things that was also in the survey was that uh, loyalty is lacking a little bit at the moment um so what are some suggestions that you can offer for a restaurant to improve their loyalty efforts and kind of in- incorporate that into the training process and you know incorporating so that the staff could be more engaged in that as well yeah um Again, I would say ensure that you have a consistency level in in customer service. And I think we keep coming back to this, like uh, the importance of giving consistent and high level customer service is really, really paramount. Because now not only are you competing with maybe, you know, the other local restaurant uh, or that's that's close to you. You're now competing also with digital players. So there's more surface area. Um, so I think, you know, they can work on improving communication to the consumer. You can work on improving communication with uh, the delivery company and making sure that's in sync uh, so that the end user experience, the, the, the consumer experience um, is still top notch. So how do you see training kind of evolving over the next say five to 10 years, um, you know, uh, obviously it's going to go definitely more on the, onto the tech aspect or the tech, um, but how, um, you know, how do you see it and how is it, you know, how important is it, you know, as people are not finding, finding people to fill their different roles. So the, the training aspect becomes more important um, to just get people in the door. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so back to the great resignation, this is going to be uh, a differentiator, frankly, of making sure that people want to work for you and that they stay. And and when they stay, they're successful. Uh, this 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 is a no-brainer. And I'm very glad that also tech enablement is coming to the desktop workforce. The majority of the people are actually performing jobs, that they're also supported. And the way they will be supported will be massively improved where you know, going back to some of the points we've discussed, all the way from pre-boarding to kind of um, to, to the last day with the company. It's the, the, the whole entire employee life cycle. They need to be supported. It's not, you know, when you join and that's it and it's hands off. And that support needs to be very uh, accessible and it should be relevant to, to that person. It's not a one size fits all. And tech, tech can really help here. You know, how do brands kind of infuse an authenticity into this whole process? You know, you don't want to, you don't want the, you don't want kind of like piecemeal pieces to, to not sound like they're coming from the brand. Um, so kind of how, I mean, I assume that's one of the things you work with them to make sure that, that all of these processes seem authentic to them. Yeah. And interestingly, what we see, uh, in 99 out of 100 cases is that brands, they want their brand to come across uh, with their workforce. And so it's not off the shelf 
turnkey content that's very generic. No, it's how do we do things at this company? How do we do things at our company? And that they infuse the values of that company because that's one of their unique differentiators. Uh, that really needs to come across and it needs to be genuine. Then it will work much better. So where do you think, let's say, you know, just in the in the next year, you know, where we're coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, what are these kind of challenges in training um, just to get people to answer an ad? You know, we're seeing people ghost all at all kinds of they're not even answering ads. So what is it, you know, that that somebody could do right now if they don't have some kind of program in place? Um, you know, reach, reach out to you guys, but, um, you know, what, what are kind of the first steps that they can do that then will give them that kind of return to retention? I think, yeah, exactly. They need to look at like, what's, what's their recruiting strategy, uh, in the outreach when they, as part of recruiting their brand, their value prep proposition really needs to come across and training has, um, a place there too. Because that's one way of, of communicating what they do, how they do that well, and how they're different to others. So that can certainly be fronted. And, and we've seen this become more and more uh, relevant. We, we work with different ATSs, applicant tracking systems, for retail, hospitality, and, and the gig space. And as part of that process now, uh, you've got as part of that kind of onboarding flow or early applicant flow, you know, they're trying to get their brand across and their value proposition across as, as a selling point to, to the candidate. So that's something people, if they're not doing it, uh, that's quite easy to do and implement as part of their existing recruiting efforts. Perfect. Thank you so much. This is great.